Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back, everyone, to the Lay the Points podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Caps, alongside my co host here, Jordan Chereau. Jordan, how's it going, man? Doing great. Doing great. How are you? Yeah, doing pretty good. You know, had another exciting weekend, even though Sunday was mostly a bunch of duds and blowouts in the NBA playoffs. But uh, there was still plenty of money to be made. Once again, we're coming off another winning week. Four weeks of the show, four winning weeks. Hopefully someone out there is uh, taking advantage of some of the advice that we're giving out. Yeah, I really hope so, because um, we're really hitting on a lot of these picks. And uh, I just want to credit myself for hitting that uh, Bulls pick. Um, and then also hitting the Pelicans pick, winning game three in Phoenix. So that was uh, a game I felt really good for New Orleans, and they end up uh, winning that game. I think we have, what, uh, there's a couple series that were on the brink of uh, of elimination, a couple others that are tied 2-2. But one of the, maybe the biggest surprise has been the celtics net series. I think yourself, myself, and most people out there expected that to be maybe the best, most compelling first-round series. And even I, as a Celtics fan, have to admit, I am just shocked and astounded at how dominant Boston has been, and in particular defensively, in bottling up Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It's been just special to watch. Yeah, I mean, they're rated the number one defense in the playoffs so far, so uh, it's definitely showing on the court. And um, now the the Nets are on a brink of elimination um, going into game four. And uh, no Ben Simmons. Um, he, he woke up on Sunday and said his back was sore. And it's really tough on them right now because they, they traded for him. And they traded for him for a reason to try to get them a championship. And he's just not ready, even though he's had about, I don't know, a good five, four or five weeks to, to, to rehab, to get back on the court. I know he's been practicing. You know, your team needs you, and uh, it's it's a surprise to see uh, Kevin Durant really getting bottled up out there. But credit to the Celtics. I mean, they're doing a tremendous job, uh, and Jason Tatum leading the way. I mean, he is a true superstar and uh, one of the best in the NBA. He's proven it every single game, showing up and uh, just playing his butt off and carrying his team. Well, and after the game, Celtics legend Paul Pierce actually made a really, really bold take And I know this is going to sound a little bit blasphemous, but he said he believes we're watching Tatum surpass Kevin Durant in the NBA hierarchy right now. And I think a lot of people entering the season probably assumed that Durant might be the best player in the league, even though I think Giannis, when you you take into account defense, is probably the best all-around player. But a lot of people still had KD as maybe the best, at the very least, scorer in the league. And what Boston's been able to do, and it helps, they have so much athleticism and so much length, which Durant himself talked about after the Game 3 loss. And Boston's ability to switch all pick and rolls, and everyone is long, agile, athletic, and can stay with just about everyone. And it seems like every time KD gets into the paint, he's looking at two or three bodies. And then if he goes to Kyrie... Kyrie, same thing. He Once he gets past the first guy, there's a wall. There's a wave of guys coming at him. And, you know, they, they're just not deep enough and don't have enough other playmakers, which is where Ben Simmons could have come in handy. You know, he's not some elite scorer. We all know he struggles with his shot. But at the very least, he could maybe help on the defensive end. That He's been one of the best defensive players since he entered the league. 
And, you know, it, it's just crazy. The whole Ben Simmons saga has been bananas going back from before the trade, everything that went down in Philadelphia, he gets traded. Now, all of a sudden, there's a back injury that didn't exist before. He's going to play game four. Then they lose game three. All of a sudden, he doesn't want to play. People are trolling him online now. Even Reggie Miller called him out and called out his integrity. It's a giant disaster. And as a Celtics fan, I have to admit, I'm smiling and looking forward to the next round, even though I'm not really looking forward to having to go against the Bucs because they look damn good at themselves but all right how about we get to some of the games that we have some lines on uh so miami coming off their drubbing of the hawks in game four they're gonna host game five tuesday night they're favored by seven and a half against the hawks with an over and over under a 217 and a half uh what do you like there well they didn't have kyle lowry um in their last game and that was not a problem at all I do want to mention the guy that's on their team that is uh, uh, like a hidden gem that we just do not talk about is Tyler Hero. This guy is just a baller out there. Uh, what do you think he's been doing in this series to to help the Heat? I thought he might be forced into the starting lineup yesterday when news broke that Kyle Lowry was not going to be able to play. But instead, they they started, I forget the name of the guy that they brought into their rotation, and then they were able to slide Oladipo, you know, it's the first time Oladipo has been on the court playing since April 3rd. And even though, like you said, he didn't shoot the ball well, just having him out there and and his motion and activity. And I think he ripped down eight rebounds, which is pretty solid for a guard in limited action. But Hero particularly, it allowed him to maintain that sixth man role that he's been so great at all year. I believe he's probably the front runner to win that award. Um, and that, that should be named any day now that the news on who's going to win that should be coming out. And I believe he's the front runner to win that award. And he has done nothing to disappoint in the postseason. This Miami team is deep and they prove that in that game four without Lowry and knowing if I'm Atlanta, I have to be feeling demoralized. You go into, you win game three on a last second floater from Trey young, who struggled all series long, by the way, Miami's done a great job on him. They win game three, though. You're feeling good. Then you get news. Hey, Kyle Lowry's out. The floor general's out for Miami. And we're still at home in game four. We can even this series up. And Miami goes out there and embarrasses you on your home floor. They were up by 30 for much of that game. I have to feel like they've pretty much packed it in in Miami, whether or not they get Lowry back, which I'm guessing they don't. There hasn't been an update yet. He's dealing with a hammy. Those tend to linger. Uh, But even without him, they showed that they can dominate this Atlanta Hawks team. So I will happily swallow the seven and a half. This is probably one of the games I feel the absolute strongest about and really like Miami to cover. Kyle Lowry will miss game five. Oh, okay. So he has been ruled out. He has been ruled out. And uh, Gabe Vincent was the guard that uh, took the place of Gabe Kyle Vincent. Lowry. Yeah. And now you can see why I couldn't remember the name because it was Gabe Vincent. Yeah. Gabe Vincent was a, a G leaguer bounced around. Miami's one of the best developing teams in the league. So, you know, guys like Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, they can come in and uh, work with their, with their staff and they can really produce. And he, you know, he was efficient four of nine in game, in game four, three of six from three. So um, yeah, just efficient overall. Miami Heat's all about team. And I absolutely love the seven and a half uh, for that game. So uh, you and I are both taking Miami at seven and a half. We feel pretty good about that. I have to admit, I, I did not see a lot of the Miami Heat play earlier this year, but I've watched a lot of this series, and I'm very impressed with them. And in particular, on the defensive end of the uh, end of the floor, 
And knowing that, I'm starting to become a believer that they are a legitimate threat to come out of the East now. Whereas if you hadn't asked me that a couple of weeks ago, I would have said you were crazy. Let's jump into uh, the next game, Memphis versus Minnesota. Memphis is six and a half favorites. Over-under is uh, 232 and a half. The money line, Memphis is minus 255. Minnesota plus 215. Uh, what do you like um, in this matchup tied two to two? You know, th- this series, I feel like of all the series, we've had as good of a beat on this as any. Uh, last week, we called the Memphis and under parlay, and we hit. Um, we've been doing really, really well with this one. This game is very, very tricky. You know, after game three, everyone remembers it was the massive collapse. The Timberwolves with the series tied 1-1, led by 26 in the first half. Memphis cut it to seven at the break. Memphis then put it back to 21 and then watched the Grizzlies go on a 21-0 run. And head coach Chris Finch didn't even call timeout. He just allowed them to go on a 21-0 run and decided to take his timeouts home with him. Literally after the game, they still had timeouts in their pocket. Um, Maybe he thought he could bring them home. I don't know. You know, it was astounding to watch Charles Barkley and a bunch of people in the media after the game. They were just as astounded as I was that he allowed that to happen. But I feel like a lot of teams... When you lose a game like that on your home court, when you had a massive lead, it's very easy to fold up the tent. But I actually wrote an article for Clutch Points the day after in explaining why I liked Memphis to win game, or excuse me, why I liked Minnesota to win game four, bucking the trend. And they did. They went out. It wasn't easy, but in a back and forth battle, but they won 119-118 and tied the series. This year, now we're in a best of three. It could easily go either way. So I like Minnesota with the with the points. I think Memphis probably wins the game, but this T Wolves team is game. They have talent. They're deep. Uh, so I do think that they can hang around. Um, but ultimately, I think they fall just short. I'd probably take the six and a half and run with them. Take the T Wolves. How about you? I think I'm going to take the T Wolves in this one. You know, the T Wolves have actually done a really good job on John Morant in this series. Um, even though Desmond Bain had a a really good coming out party game in in game four, scoring 34 points, 11 of 18, and 8 of 12 from three. Goodness. Um, so, yeah, I like uh, I like Minnesota at plus six and a half. Ultimately, a lot of it is going to come down to which cat do we get. I'm betting that we get the good cat, which makes it, and we talked about this off air as well, Minnesota being a plus 215 on the money line. They've already shown that they can win in Memphis, winning game one comfortably. Uh, so I feel like there's, and, and you, I think you agree that there's some decent value there. You know, if they played this game three times, they'd only have to win it one out of three for you to make more than your money. And I think there's a decent chance that they would be able to do that. So the plus two fifteen on the money line, also not, not, not a bad bet. Okay. Let's jump to the next game. Uh, the Suns against the Pelicans. Phoenix is favored by six and a half. The over under is two fifteen and a half. Money line minus two sixty for the Suns plus two twenty for the Pelicans. Who do you like? You know th- this has been a hard series to gauge, and there's been a lot of different things going on. Obviously, the injury to Devin Booker is the the big driving storyline, um, but it's not only what his absence has done to Phoenix's offense, which you know he was the team's leading scorer and he's what third top four, top five, and MVP balloting uh, this year. So, like, it's obvious that they're missing him on the offensive end. But what's not really talked about is his importance to the defensive side of the ball, which Phoenix was also the second-best defensive club in the NBA this year. And since 
he's gone down. New Orleans is scoring at will. And Jonas Valanciunas is still eating and taking DeAndre Ayton's lunch. I mean, he's just ripping down. What do you have? 15 boards this game. I think he had 26 or something like that in one of the other games. Like he is just dominating and they're killing them on the glass. And, and I know that this Phoenix team is much better than the Pelicans, but the Pelicans are dangerous and they believe that they can win. So knowing they're getting six and a half, I, I have to say, give me the Pelicans. I think they they have a decent chance, even if they don't win this game. I like them to cover, but I still think they have a decent shot at winning the series. I think Phoenix is in a little bit of trouble. You know, CP3, this is playoff CP3, you know, four points in game four, and uh, they just need more from him. Like, he needs to he needs to take more shots. I think he took, uh, what, eight shots? Yeah, seven or eight. Like, yeah, he didn't He was two much. for eight in the game like you can't like when you're like Chris Paul you have to be taking at least 15 to 20 shots especially without Devin Booker because he's taking 20 plus shots a game so you know there's a time in the series where you have to be like I need to take over like I need like I know you know like he ended up with 11 assists but he has to be like okay I need to take over I need to get up my shots and get people involved but you know they cannot go down two to three against the Pelicans because they could be in trouble and it might go seven. Like I think they might win game three. I mean, game six, but it could go seven. You just don't, you know, coming off the season that they had last year. But yeah, like defensively in game four, they gave up 35 points in, in quarter three and 34 in quarter four. And it's just like that. That's not Phoenix basketball. Yeah. 69 points and a half. And, you know, for the year, the Pelicans were one of the better defensive clubs, but so far this series has hit the over in three or four games, and it hasn't been that close, and a lot of them has gone well over. And I think a lot of that is because this isn't the same defensive ball club that we saw from Phoenix all year long, and their rotations are off. And so because of that, I mean, the over-under is, what, 215.5? I haven't seen anything defensively since Booker went down from Phoenix that leads me to think that New Orleans – and Brandon Ingram isn't going to continue to go off. He set a franchise playoff record with his third straight uh, playoff game with 30 or more points when he dropped 30 last night uh, or the other night. And uh, I don't see any reason he's going to slow down. And they won despite McCollum not even really doing a whole lot offensively. You know he's probably going to be better. Valanchunas clearly is dominating the paint and knowing how easy it is for New Orleans to score right now, the six and a half seems like, a really solid bet. And like I said, the over also, I think is a sneaky good bet for that game as well. All right. How about we uh, take a look at the Warriors? We haven't really talked about the Warriors. You know, they've gone about their business, which coming into the series, I think a lot of people, myself included, thought that Denver might be able to give them a little bit of a scare. And that clearly has not been the case. Denver finally got on the board winning game four, uh, just barely. But man, this Warriors team, they've been just steadily going about their business so far in, in this series. And uh, in this game, they're what, eight and a half point favorites back at home, looking to close it out against the Nuggets. Over-unders 225 and a half. Uh, and Vegas has the money line, uh, or betonline.net has the money line. Golden State minus 400 to win the game. Denver plus 320. I'll tell you this much. I don't like the Denver plus 320 because I don't see any way that they're going to win this game. Uh, question is, would they cover the spread? What do you think? I like Denver to cover the spread. 
Eight and a half is a lot of points. So I think it's going to be closer than expected. I would not be surprised if Denver won the game. And I know you don't think Denver is going to win, but sometimes you just need that one win to kind of get things going. I mean, Jokic had a really, really good game. He scored 37 points in that game. So they need him to score at least 30 points. But, um, you know, I think it's probably going to be a three to five point game. Um, Golden State might win, but I definitely like the Denver at plus eight and a half. We haven't talked a lot about the Warriors, but um, the one guy that's really stood out in this series is Jordan Poole. You know, the third splash brother, like can we call him that now with uh, with uh, Curry coming off the bench? But, um, you know, I, I are they going to be able to pay Jordan Poole or is he going to just like this is like the playoffs where he's just going to cash in in the offseason and have a team like the Sacramento Kings pay him like $20 million <laughs> a year? I could totally see that, and I don't know if he would be nearly as effective uh, with Sacramento as he is here in Golden State. But you know, it's it's been really impressive to watch him develop as this year went along, and he's had to grow up quite a bit with all the injuries that the Warriors have gone through during the course of this season. And for him to do what he's doing in this postseason, and quietly, Clay Thompson is starting to really look good. He's gone 19, 21, 26, 32 in the four games in this series, but he has hit, I believe, let's see, 15, he's hit 23 threes in this series so far. He hit eight last game. He hit seven the game before. So like if he's knocking down shots from the outside, Poole's knocking down shots from the outside and Curry, who's also been playing extremely well since coming back from his injury off the bench, no less, you know, it's just going to be hard for Denver to match that. And even in the first couple of games when they were getting drubbed, you know, they were still getting 26 and 12 from Jokic, but it just didn't matter. He didn't have anyone around him um, that could be able to try to match what Golden State was doing. And that's that's kind of why I like Golden State to boat race Denver. I think they they smell blood. They know they don't want to go back to Denver for a game six. They want to put this out, you know, and move on and start preparing for the next round. Also get Curry a little added rest figure out their rotations and how they want to play with that, you know, because there's a debate. Should Curry continue? I mean, their offense is clicking so well. Should Curry even continue coming off the bench? Maybe Um, that sounds a little crazy, but there's been talk. There's been talk about that. So I think they're going to be motivated to put this team away and finish this series in game five in Golden State, avoid going back to to Denver. And I think in order to do that, they're going to be hitting on all cylinders and they're going to they're going to light it up from the outside like they have been lately. And knowing every game in this series has gone over 231 uh, and the, the over-under sitting at 225 and a half, you know, all signs point to the over being the play as well. So, I, I mean, if there was a parlay that I play this week, I think it might be Golden State in the over. I love Golden State to win the whole thing. But for me, like I like Denver uh, plus eight and a half in this one. Well, we finally disagree, so I like that. Maybe we'll make a little side bet on it. So let's go to the last game. Um, we have Milwaukee versus Chicago. Milwaukee's 10-point favorites. Over-under is 219.5. Moneyline Milwaukee, minus 565. Chicago, plus 445. Man, as much as Atlanta is likely demoralized after getting hammered in Game 4 without Kyle Lowry in the lineup for the Heat... Chicago must be even more demoralized. I mean, after game two, you even the series going back home and you get the news that Middleton is probably done for the series. You got to be feeling great about yourself. 
and they didn't just get shellacked in the last game. They lost both games and were down by 30 in both of them. Like they got boat raced twice on their home floor. And I think it just reinforced that statistic that we brought out a few weeks ago where the bulls had the worst record in the NBA against the top four teams in the East and West Eastern and Western conferences. They were at one point, they were Owen 16 against those clubs. And so I think we finally got to see the real bulls again, these last two games. Now, despite that 10 points is a lot of points. These Chicago players, they still have a lot of pride in the Bucks, just like we talked about when we picked Chicago last week and the week prior to cover the lines, and they did in the games that we took them. I'd like Chicago to cover the 10 points. I just don't think they'll win the game. See, I'm going to say, I I think Milwaukee's going to destroy them. I just think that uh, that they have a ton of momentum right now. And, you know, going back and looking how the Bulls shot last game, 39% from the field, and they shot 9 of 36 from 3, 25%. So Milwaukee has always been a very, very good defensive team. And I think, you know, they're going to be so motivated to close this out. And, you know, it's the Bulls are just, I think they're on the brink right now. And I think it's not going to be close. Even though I did like the Bulls earlier. And then when Middleton got hurt, I was like, okay. But, you know, as experienced as Milwaukee is, they knew everyone had to step up and that's exactly what they're doing. Um, so I think, you know, Vegas really, really likes the Bucks, and I like the Bucks a lot too in this game. Well, how about Grayson Allen of all guys, mm-hmm. Grayson Allen went bananas filling in. He, he was probably the biggest, uh, the, the player that stepped up into the biggest role so far in Middleton's absence. It's been really impressive what he's been able to do off the bench. And I agree. I think Milwaukee definitely wins this game and I wouldn't be surprised if they're ahead by, 20 for a lot of it i just don't trust them to cover late in the game i just they're prone to giving up bigger leads or at least allowing teams to to get back into games especially on their home floor for whatever weird reason that is so knowing that yeah i think uh, a backdoor cover is what i'm looking at here for the bulls all right how about we pivot a little bit uh you know we, we teased it a little bit last week the nfl draft is coming up later this week And, you know, that's always a really exciting time. I know I'm always really looking forward to it, even though as a Pats fan for many, many times, all we do is trade down. So it's not nearly as exciting to actually watch the draft because we almost never have picks, even though we're a little bit different now that we don't have Tommy Terrific. So we actually have some picks to play with, Uh, but it should be a lot of fun. What are you looking forward to? I love the NFL draft. It's like one of my favorite times of the year. You never know what to expect. And uh, there's always big surprises every single year. Some bad team makes some terrible trade and some really good teams add talent. And you're like, seriously, like, how did that even happen? You just go to question all these general managers, like, what are you doing? I could definitely do a better job. But it's so exciting every single year, even though like the days are long. Like my wife is just like, like, when is this over after like the six hour? And I'm like, well, it goes tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So I'm kind of just you know, busy the rest of the weekend, but it's a really exciting event in Vegas this year. So who goes number one to Jacksonville? Daniel Jeremiah, NFL network analyst in his latest mock draft has Aiden Hutchinson going number one, but will the Jags surprise and select defensive end Trayvon Walker out of Georgia? What do you think that the Jags should do here? I think Aiden Hutchinson is probably the safer pick. Uh, he's probably more likely to have an immediate impact, but Trayvon Walker, 
you know, he, he grades out uh, potentially as a far more explosive player and I think has a higher ceiling. And depending upon where you're getting your odds from, you might be able to get uh, at some places you can get plus 140, plus 160 for Trayvon Walker on the, as the first pick, as opposed to Aiden Hutchinson, who's minus 175 in a lot of places. Uh, so knowing that and knowing that you're almost getting twice the better money to go with Walker, but the odds on them taking them are almost 50-50. And even Trent Balky has talked about, openly talked about how much he likes Walker. I think there's there's value there to go after that. Uh, and I could see the Georgia product being the first overall pick. Well, I know they have a lot of holes, especially defensively. They ranked 26 in sacks and 22nd in QB hits in 2021. Hutchinson had 14 sacks last year at Michigan. Also of note, the Jags also tagged uh, Cam Robinson and signed Brandon Sheriff to protect Trevor Lawrence. So they probably won't go offensive lineman. I think they're going to go with a pass rush. But I'm. But who knows? I mean, who knows? Like they should probably take the the solid pick in Hutchinson. I would like if I was running Jacksonville. I wouldn't really unless you're just obsessed with Trayvon Walker. And uh, you just think he's going to be a a star. But as I've learned watching sports and draft picks and and, in baseball and basketball and football, I used to love the upside pick. And I know that's what drafts are all about. Upside, upside, upside. But sometimes when you just get the guy who's solid, who can just play, that is usually the best bet because you're going to miss a lot because sometimes guys just don't work out. So, and Hutchinson seems like like he's got his head on straight. He seems like a really good kid, and something and somebody you can really build your your defense around for the next decade. So, if it was me, that's who I would take. Yeah, I agree that Hutchinson is likely the smarter, wiser choice. But this is the Jacksonville Jaguars, after all, and they're not really known for making the wisest of decisions. Just look at last year and their head coaching decisions. And then this off season paying Christian Kirk, a wide receiver to maybe 70 plus million dollars. So knowing their, their track history, they don't tend to make the sharpest of decisions. So that's another reason why I feel like going after Walker is, is probably worth your money. How about quarterbacks? You know, every draft, there's always a, a, someone that piques a lot of interest as we get close uh, initially, there was a ton of talk about Kenny Pickett and Malik Harris climbed up uh, a lot of people's boards or excuse me, Malik Willis climbed up a lot of people's boards and some of the talk on him has cooled off a little bit recently. And they're saying that there isn't a quarterback uh, necessarily that's like a lock to be a franchise guy. So a lot of people just have the first quarterback going mid middle of the first round when you know, it seems like year after year, we see three of them, four of them going in the top 10. So how do you think the the whole quarterback carousel is going to play out this year? Yeah, this is not really a big quarterback um, draft. I mean, like last year was. And um, usually every single year, like we talk about what team is going to trade up for a quarterback. But there's definitely question marks with um, each quarterback. Um, Malik Willis had a phenomenal pro day. So that can definitely intrigue a lot of teams. Um, but uh, Kenny Pickett, he has, I'm sure everyone knows this, he has very small hands for a quarterback, which is very, very alarming since you have 
you know, 280 pound, 300 pound lineman just coming and swiping at your hands all the time. So, and especially when you play in like, you know, if you're not playing in a dome, if you think it's drafted to a place that has cold weather and stuff and trying to grip the ball, that could definitely be an issue. So, um, right now, Daniel Jeremiah has Kenny Pickett going to the saints. I don't think he's going to go to the saints because they signed Jameis Winston. I think they're going to roll with him, but what about like maybe Carolina? I mean, they definitely need a quarterback. I know they have been hinted towards possibly trading for Baker Mayfield, but it came out recently that they weren't interested in Baker Mayfield, but there's so much smoke around this time of year. So you never know what to believe. Also with Atlanta, they did sign Marcus Mariota, but come on, like, like, let's be honest, like he's a good player, but I don't think he's been a starter since Tennessee. This could be a draft that a, a quarterback is not taken in the first round. That could easily happen. It could, but my bold prediction for this draft is that the Panth- the Carolina Panthers are going to shock everyone and they're going to take Malik Willis with a sixth, o- sixth overall pick. And I agree that everyone's perception is that this isn't a quarterback draft and it's not. But at the end of the day, it's still a quarterback league and you either have one or you don't. And if you don't, you might as well take a shot. And I think the Panthers are going to take their shot in hope that what they saw during that pro day that you referenced from Malik Willis is the guy that they're hoping he can become. Even though, if from, from my perspective, having watched both of them, but I saw a lot more of Pickett. I'll be honest, I did not see much of Malik Willis. He went to a, you know, a mid-major school. I don't think there were a lot of eyes on him throughout much of the year. Uh, I did, however, see plenty of Kenny Pickett at Pitt, and I'm I'm a believer of Kenny Pickett. I think he could really turn into a franchise quarterback. It, granted, it, it's going to take the right situation around him, and so if he actually did go to the Saints at 18, or if you went to a- Atlanta and they put a couple pieces around him, I think he might be able to turn into something. But I, I but my guess is that Malik Willis will be the first quarterback off the board at number six. I think over the course of the last two years, it could have been three years, the Packers will not select a wide receiver for Aaron Rodgers. And I have no idea why one of the best quarterbacks of our lifetime cannot get help. So they traded away his his buddy, Devontae Adams. So now they have Alan Lazard and Sammy Watkins. My bold prediction is the Packers now have two first round selections this year in the first round. I believe they will take not one, but two wide receivers in the first round. And Aaron Rodgers will have some cryptic tweet about it. um, And uh, it'll be great for them because Aaron Rodgers will make these rookies look like studs in their first year, but they definitely need the help. I'm going to be very disappointed, and I'm sure Aaron will, if they do not take a wide receiver in the first round because there are some good ones there. So that's what I'm going to say, two wide receivers. What do you think about that? I think that's crazy. The Packers taking two wide receivers, like you said, they haven't shown that they're willing to give Rodgers one wide receiver, never mind giving him two in the first round. And this Packers team still has a lot of other holes to fill. They lost couple key defensive players. It didn't help when Aaron Rodgers took the $50 million a year, $150 million over the course of three-year contract, uh, putting them in a really tough spot. 
forcing them to have to let Devontae Adams be traded away. I do think that they use one of them, but if they used both, I would be floored. And I would also be a little bit concerned as someone who doesn't typically root for the Packers because clearly they need someone that he can throw the ball to. I don't think Alan Lazard and Sammy Watkins are going to be his guys this year. And finally, I've been waiting for this the entire podcast. As a San Francisco 49er fan, I got the shocking news this week that stud wide receiver Debo Samuel wants a trade out of San Francisco. No one knows why. I know it's probably because of money, but it's been as the days go by, it's being reported more and more that uh, the Niners are ready to pay Debo. And he just does not want to stay in San Francisco. He has sent out videos in clubs of throat slash when somebody like they had a sign that says uh, Debo staying in San Francisco. I don't get it. If I was San Francisco, I wouldn't pay him any more than 19 million a year. And I know he wants to get paid more. So the question is, do you trade him? He has one year left on his contract at 3.9 million. And then he's a free agent. So, if you don't trade him in the next couple days and he doesn't play and he refuses to play this season and report to training camp and all that, then his value is going to keep going down. So they might get a first round pick. I would not trade Debo unless I'm getting at least a first round pick this year. So the Jets and the Lions and the Eagles are a few teams that have been rumored that want to trade for Debo. The Jets hold the 10th pick while the Eagles hold 15 and 16. So as a 49er fan, it's 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 very disappointing um, because no one really saw this coming. He showed a lot of emotion after the, the heartbreaking loss in the NFC Championship game to the Rams. So I was going into this offseason knowing that the Niners were going to do everything they could to pay Debo and then, uh, and, and then Nick Bosa after that. But it doesn't seem that way now. And uh, if the Niners can cash in, get a first-round pick, and maybe draft one of these stud-wide receivers to to fill that, to pair with uh, uh, Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, then that might be the way to go. But um, if I had to guess and I had to put money on it, I would 100% think that they're going to trade Debo. I think his time in San Francisco is over, unfortunately. What do you think of this whole insane situation? You know, I, I kind of understand both sides. Uh, Debo sees what the market is paying wide receivers. He has one year left on his deal. He wants to get paid. Uh, this is normally the time that you would get paid with a year left on the, on the contract. Uh, but at the same time, because of the role that he is playing in that offense, the Niners are reluctant uh, to some degree to want to pay him top dollar, uh, you know, because it's so easy that he could end up getting hurt with with the way that he plays the position. Um, but the the twist of everything that's come out and him not wanting to be there, if that's how he ultimately really feels, then yeah, I think you're right. I think the best move is to trade him and and get whatever you can. You know, we've we've seen it a few times this offseason, and you know, more than likely you'll ship him out to the Jets and his career will probably tank, and you'll get a pretty good pick and maybe a decent package for him. Um, but if you play it out and, you know, you, you let the season expire, if he holds out, he's losing trade value. If he plays the final season on his deal, then you just lose him for nothing at the end of the year. Uh, so I, I think you're right that it might make the most sense. If this is truly how he feels, then I think you need to move him. Debo's only 26 years old, so he's got a lot of, 
a lot of room to grow and, and to get better. But yeah, like I agree, you know, um, if you're going to trade him, trade him to, uh, either a bad team in the NFC, it's going to get you a high draft pick like the lions or the jets or, or, you know, you trade him the AFC and just get him out of the division in general. So you don't have to see him maybe once every four years, but, uh, it's, it's heartbreaking as a fan to see how all this goes down with no explanation, but I'm sure it'll come out if he does get traded. So, we will see, and uh, I'm excited about the NFL draft. It's going to be a really, really fun weekend of basketball and football, and uh, I can't wait to uh, talk about it on Monday. Absolutely. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.